0: Welcome to Smart Talk, I'm Scott Lamar. One of our mantras here at Smart Talk is that everybody has a story to tell. I've often said that they may not know it, but their life experiences and the knowledge each person possesses are stories. Some are better at storytelling than others, but everyone does have a story. The fifth annual Lit It Storytelling Festival is scheduled for this Friday and Saturday. On today's program, we're honored to have one of the world's great storytellers, on the program, Daniel Morton also performs at the Legis Storytelling Festival. Daniel Morton, welcome to the program.
1: Morning.
0: And I I have to say that, uh, you know, most people who are fans of uh, Daniel Morton would know that uh, just calling him a storyteller probably doesn't tell the whole story. He's an award-winning storyteller, entertainer, author and i'm going to have another description another word that describes him in a minute i'm going to ask him about also joining us is david worth who is one of the founders of the lindit storytelling festival david welcome to the program thanks, thanks scott if you have a question or a comment one 800 send an email to smarttalk at witf.org all right daniel morton i've des- seen a description of you It's several places as a troubadour. Mm -hmm. That is a word you don't hear many people described as
1: today. Mm -hmm. Do you embrace that, and what is a troubadour? Well, as I understand it, the troubadour came from the medieval era, and he, and it would mainly have been a he, would have been an itinerant entertainer, and that's what I am. I travel from place to place, performing to whomever I meet, and I have to have a repertoire that ranges from preschool children up to elder uh, elder homes, um, and uh, that's what I do. I also work with musicians, and the whole troubadour thing was to do with um, telling your stories with musical accompaniment, and that fascinates me. So I work with music- musicians an awful lot. So I think that's where the troubadour thing comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you do embrace it, then? I love it. You don't
0: have it on your business card, though,
1: do I you? don't have a business card. Ah!
0: <laughs> Why not? I don't know. I'm not Straight. sure storytellers don't need business cards. Well, right? I'm not
1: saying that for a moment. Lots of my colleagues have business cards, but I just don't have one. <laughs> How does one become a
0: storyteller?
1: Well, it's more a process of elimination than choice. You know, I, I, I loved books, but I didn't want to be a writer. I didn't want to be on my own all the time. I liked performing, but I didn't want to be an actor. I didn't want to have to pretend to be someone else. And storytelling enabled me to do the best bits of both those jobs. It enabled me to work with story structure, but not uh, sit all day on my own obsessing about it. It enabled me to perform without having to persuade somebody else to employ me in order that I pretend to be somebody that I wasn't interested in pretending to be. I was a very naive 20-something, and what I wanted to do was what I wanted to do. And I discovered, um by luck that it was this and i've been doing it ever since i mean charles Bukowski said find a thing you love and let it kill you and that's (laughs) what i'm doing that's what i'm doing i'm doing it with great passion and vigor wherever i can
0: (laughs) when did you realize you see we're a naive 20 something yeah uh, when did you realize that storytelling was your ultimate calling?
1: Well, I met another storyteller. I mean, storytelling is an oral tradition. What you do is you hear someone else, and you take elements of what they've done, and you make it your own. And that's exactly what happened to me. I heard another teller, and she told the story of Baba Yaga. You know know the story of Baba Yaga from Russia? I do not. She's a wonderful, remarkable character. Um, She's a witch. And she lives in the forest, in the center of the forest, and her hut is surrounded by a white picket fence, only it ain't picket, whatever picket is, it's made of human bones. And on top of every single one of those human bones, there is a human skull. And Baba Yaga herself lives in this hut that's on a p- giant pair of chicken legs that runs around the clearing inside the fence. And Baba Yaga is powerful, but she's also dim so it's a wonderful story for children to hear because it suggests that though there are people who are more powerful than you you can if you use your wits you can defeat them
0: all right now you have to finish the story now (laughs) I I mean because people in today's in today's world people would hear that and say oh is that something children should hear
1: yeah? Well, like I say, what it does is it takes you into the dark and out the other side. And that's the responsibility of every storyteller. You know, it's, there has to be jeopardy. What's the point in telling a story about a fluffy bunny who goes out in the sunshine and makes daisy chains for his friends? What you need to do is tell a story that has some threat, some jeopardy in it. Because there is threat, there is jeopardy in in, in the world. There are There are problems, there are bumps. And what the stories do, the old stories, what they do is they say... Yes, there are these things, but there is also your inner strength. There is also your wits, your courage, your resourcefulness, your friends, and you can triumph over adversity. And that's what the stories are always saying.
0: So there always has to be jeopardy. What are some other elements that go into a good story?
1: Well, for my preference, I think there has to be a character you like, you know. I mean, that, that, that is a kind of controversial in the context of modern literature in Hollywood, but um, you know, I'm not gonna devote hours of my time and hours of audience time to a character that people find odious. So I want an every man and every woman. I want someone who isn't perfect, is flawed, but is like us. And then they meet adversity, and what do they do? Also, I love the way that stories wind in on themselves like a pattern in the Book of Kells. I love the way something from the earlier passage in the story that you've forgotten about pops up again at the end in, in an unexpected way. That gives me a sense of tremendous satisfaction, not just as a teller, but as a listener. Mm. So it, it, it's, it's about that pattern that we're born with. It's about celebrating that pattern of a journey, a crisis, and then a return to harmony.
0: You know, it's interesting that you say that that you you have to have a character that you like. Uh, And you mentioned Hollywood. Because it seems as though, uh, I don't know if I'd say many, but there are television shows now, movies, yeah. that uh, there's a character that's not a good person. Yeah, that it's uh, yeah. not Breaking a high character. Bad. Breaking
1: bad. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Not a good person. Yeah. But you find yourself rooting for that person. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's the plan. Uh, it Didn't work for me. I mean, uh, this is probably get your old switchboards lighting up. But you know, I was sitting there watching this guy, thinking, "Look, you know, you've got cancer. You're dying. Don't do the wrong thing." you know? But however, um, it was very popular, so what, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so for those out there,
0: because you're, you know, every storyteller, I get the sense that every storyteller is unique. Yeah. You have your yeah. own yeah. Your own favorites, the yeah. things you like, how yeah. you do it and all that. So you said that you, you met this woman who told yeah. the story, yeah. and so when did you decide, you know, I could do that, well, but here's what I like.
1: Yeah, well, that's a slow process, and I'm still... I'm still doing that after 25 years. You know, it's still pretty instinctive. I mean, I, I heard stories that I loved. I found in books stories that I loved, and gradually I realised that they shared common elements, and those common elements cons- uh, created the, the kind of story that I wanted to tell. So, um, I, you know, I, I think. I mean, <clears throat> it's been said there are only seven basic stories. And one of them is Rebirth. So it's Walk the Line. It's the Johnny Cash movie. It's Sleeping Beauty. It's the story of someone. Christmas Carol is another example. The story of someone who goes down and down and down. And just when it looks as though nothing can pull them out of this abyss, they are saved by another human being, by love.
0: Only seven.
1: Who says that? Yeah, who says that? Well, Well, you said they say
0: there's only seven.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's traditional stories. I can't tell you who says that. There is a guy who writes a book called The Seven Basic Stories. It's an enormous book. His name is Christopher Booker. It took him 10 years to write it. Um, Of course, I read it. Um, So he's one of the people who says that. But then there are other people who say there are only three. And then there are other people who say there's only one.
0: By the way, uh, you're probably saying, Scott, shut up and let Daniel Morton tell a story. And we will here in in just a moment. But uh, uh, I want to let you know that uh, if you have a question or a comment for uh, Daniel Morton, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to at org. You also can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page, 1-800-729-7532. Before we get into uh, some stories, I did want to talk a little more. Uh, about your background and Uh how you grew to be the storyteller Uh that you are. Uh I understand that European storytellers, now Uh you're from Wales, European storytellers are different than American storytellers. In
1: what way? Well, we tell more traditional stories. That's the major difference. Over here, there's much more personal storytelling. But in, in the UK, in Europe, it's predominantly the telling of the old stories. Mm-hmm. So I consider myself a kind of old order storyteller when I'm over here in the, um, in the festivals. I'm surrounded by people who are telling stories about now, and I'm telling stories about then.
0: Mm-hmm. You just came from Utah yeah. at, a, at a, a festival. Do you spend most of your time in the US? Or... No,
1: no, no. I, I'll make a visit a year. I would think. Mm. Most of the time I'm in the UK. I might go over to um, mainland Europe uh, two or three times in the year. I'll be over in Germany when I get back from here. But uh, most of the time, I'm based in the UK. Okay. Uh, I, when you say that uh, you like the old...
0: Yeah. And you are talking the old. In Europe, here in the United States, old is 250 <laughs> years old. But yeah. in Europe, it goes back uh, hundreds, if not even farther than
1: that. But Thousands. Homer yeah. is, is one of your favorites. Yeah. Odyssey and the Iliad. I Why? Loved, I, well, because they're the blueprint. They're they're the blueprints. I mean, one of the wonderful things, for example, about the Iliad is it's basically in Europe the first story about war. And there are no goodies and there are no baddies. The central characters will perform acts of extreme savagery and then moments later perform acts of extreme compassion. And that goes right back all the way there, all the way back to the beginning of European culture and I find that remarkable I find that absolutely remarkable I mean even in the Odyssey when Odysseus is stuck in a cave with uh, uh, the Cyclops who is eating his way through Odysseus's crew once Odysseus has blinded the Cyclops there is a moment and there's no other way of reading it there is a moment where we the listener feels pity for the Cyclops pity for this vicious flesh-eating monster and Homer has put that in there. I cannot see any other reason why it's, why it's there. It's put it in there to give us a rounded view of every character in the story. The gods and goddesses, they're not good, they're not bad, they're us. And the characters are us. You know, we're a salt and pepper mi- mixture, yeah, as Thomas Hardy said. On a good day, we're good. On a bad day, we're not so good. Okay, now I am maybe asking you the
0: impossible. Uh-huh. Uh, because we, we, we talked ahead of time about, well, you we ask, how long do you want my stories to be? And, we're, yeah. you know, we're time-restricted. Yeah. Can you tell a five-minute version of the Iliad or Odyssey? No, I, I certainly I, can't. I did not no, think you could. Okay. You know,
1: there's a thing. They're called epics for a reason, That's a, It's, I, it's, it's, I it's so like, yeah. you know, buying a fridge magnet of a Mark Rothko painting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something <laughs> fundamental is lost when right. you haven't got the scale. That's right. You know, when you finish a performance of the Iliad or the Odyssey, the audience ought to have gone on a journey. You know? They ought to have finished and sit back and go, ah. And there ought to be sweat rings under their armpits. You know? They ought to have been through that ordeal on some level with a And so I can tell you other stories. I'm happy to tell you.
0: We'll tell you some shorter, not so epic stories in a few minutes. Okay. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're discussing storytelling today. We're going to hear some stories here in uh, just, a, just a moment or so from award-winning storyteller, entertainer, author Daniel Morton. And David Wirth is going to join us in just a few minutes. He's one of the founders of the Litit Storytelling Festival, which is this Friday and Saturday. If you have a question or comment, I know you want to sit back and listen, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. I knew the answer to uh-huh. whether you could do the cliff note version of the Iliadic Odyssey, uh-huh. but tell us a story.
1: Okay, well, what do you want? Do you want a romance or do you want some nonsense? I mean, there is an election coming up. The nonsense might be useful to prepare your listeners. All right, all right, let's go with nonsense. Okay, nonsense. Well, we have a great tradition of of nonsense stories in Wales. And um, like I say, you know, sometimes people say things that don't make any sense, but they say them with a straight face and um, you walk away wondering what the truth was. So just in order to warm you up for your imminent elections, here goes. Yesterday morning at six o'clock in the afternoon, I was flying through the sky in a little boat when I saw two men on horseback riding a pigeon. I said to them, excuse me, have you seen my sister? And they said, what does she look like? I said, she has a long white beard. And they said, no, we haven't seen her, but there's a man down there, go and ask him. So I went down to the man's house, I knocked on the door, he couldn't miss it, it was all by itself in the row. Uh, A big man opened the door, he was so big he jumped out of a thimble. He shook me by the hand, he said, would you like some breakfast? I said, no, thank you, so he gave me some. He gave me a plate piled high with lumps of steaming crunchy beer and a drink of mashed potato. Uh, I lifted some crumbs of beer into my mouth, but they fell under the table. I had a look under the table, and they're sitting under the table eating the crumbs of the beer on the ceiling, which is giraffe. I said, I'm going to strangle that giraffe. The man said, no, don't hurt the giraffe. That's a very useful giraffe. Only this morning that giraffe was out in the garden and it caught a rabbit and ate it. If you don't believe me, ask the rabbit. So I went outside in the garden. There was a lovely apple tree covered in bananas. There was a man who was blind, a man who couldn't talk, A man with no legs and a man with no clothes on. The blind man saw the rabbit. The man who couldn't talk said, hey, look, there's a rabbit. The one with no legs chased the rabbit round the garden, caught it, kicked it, gave it to the man with no clothes on who put the rabbit in his pocket. Then I looked, I saw some deer. I put an arrow to my bow. I thought, there's nothing I like eating more than a nice bowl of Cheerios. So I loosed the arrow through the air at the deer, but the arrow missed the deer and hit a fish who was going past on a motorbike. And with that fish, I made the best apple pie you've ever tasted. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that fits right
0: in with our election this year. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to I'm say, I'm just trying to help. <laughs> you know, if we put that, if we put that under in our newsroom uh-huh. a news story this afternoon, uh-huh. called it an election coverage. Uh-huh. It wouldn't uh, surprise anyone. No, that's today. right.
1: That seems to be the way it's going in the oh. UK too. I hasten to add.
0: Yeah, oh, that's right. You did have, uh, you've had quite the
1: uh, uproar here in the oh, UK. Oh my heavens above! Let's Let's not go there.
0: All right. So, all right. But the first thing I have to ask is, okay... (laughs) I can see sitting down writing that. Uh, Did you actually write it? Did no, you actually write it uh, down? I
1: put it together. It's a traditional story. Um, I found different versions of it from all over Europe. It predominantly consists of a run that used to be told by an old man in West Wales called James Wade. Shemi Wad in my language. Um, and uh, I added some bits from Grimm. I added some bits from some Irish tales. So it's, it's a kind of hotspot, but predominantly Welsh.
0: Well, then the second question is,
1: uh-huh.
0: how do you tell that story with, I mean, just the, the speed, the pace, uh-huh. Uh-huh. remembering everything, how uh-huh. do you do
1: that? Well, it's about images. You, you, you memorize the images. And they're crazy images. They're, they're easy to memorize. So you move from one image to the next. You don't have to remember the words. You, you just remember a sequence, a pattern of pictures.
0: Well, I, can, yeah, I f- certainly, in my mind, uh-huh. w- as you were describing all these things, was picturing
1: it. Yeah, yeah that, that that's the wonderful thing about storytelling. It's, it's, it's a kind of cinema of the mind. Someone can stand up and they can tell a story about a giant tearing a palace out of the ground and wading across the ocean and placing the palace uh, on the other side of the sea. And, and we don't have to spend all that money. We don't have to waste all those resources in CGI. We just say it and the audience picture it.
0: Yeah. CGI, for those who don't know, that is a, uh, a, a video term. Uh-huh. So, uh, but in today's world, we'll just uh, identify that. All right, I have to tell you, you know, what it kind of remind, reminded me of, and yeah. now it brings a new appreciation to it. It reminded me of a late 1960 Beatles song.
1: Oh yeah, which one? Go on then. Well,
0: okay, kind of like Strawberry Fields yeah. Forever, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: you know, uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. I well, mean, Lennon was a big fan of nonsense. He was a big fan of. Uh, there was a whole seam of nonsense in the public discourse at that time. There were a lot of comedians who were doing this kind of stuff, like Spike Milligan and Harry Secombe and Peter Sellers was mm-hmm. friends of theirs. They were in a radio show called The Goons, and Lennon was a big fan of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Did, did you see that? as a storyteller do you see that in in kind of some of those lyrics yeah
1: i love it mm-hmm. i love it i am mean, you know wherever i see it you know i, I love it i kind of collect this stuff
0: mm-hmm. all right well let's talk about the rose romance now because okay. now i am interested to okay. see the juxtaposition so the
1: juxtaposition well, that's a lovely word i love
0: it. i don't use it very often no i don't I, use it I, often when enough I, when i how about a story using juxtaposition
1: okay not we'll right now little, but we'll yeah. see what we can do
0: no pressure go ahead go ahead romance
1: There was once a thief. He was a pickpocket. He was a marvelous pickpocket. He could walk past you, take your socks from your feet inside your shoes, and you wouldn't even know. Now, one time, he was walking through a crowded marketplace, and he saw a young woman, and their eyes locked. And the moment he saw her and she saw him, his heart leapt. And he thought, this, this is something special. I'm not gonna steal from her. And as he walked toward her, he tried to think of something witty to say. And the closer she got, the more this mattered. And as she approached, as the moment came, he opened his mouth, and every thought he'd ever had left his head. And she looked at him, he didn't say anything, so she looked away and walked on past him. And as he, desolate, he thought, I'll drown my sorrows. So he went to a bar, he ordered a drink. He reached into his, his pocket was empty. Someone had stolen his wallet. Someone had stolen his wallet and all the purses and wallets that he had stolen that morning. Who could possibly have done, said, so- ah. So he went back into the market, he found a young woman, he took her to one side, he said, did you steal from me? Because if you did, you're good. I thought I was good, but you—you you are. You're, I'm not in your league. You and I should talk shop. So they went to a bar. She bought him a drink as she was the one with the money. And they talked about this and they talked about that. They talked about their different uh, techniques. There was a juxtaposition of techniques. And finally, they agreed they would go into business together. And they did, and they cleaned up. They were rich, and they fell in love. They were married. They began to think about having children. And they thought to themselves, were we to have a child, our child would be the best thief the world has ever seen, with your genes and my genes combined in that body. But when the baby was born, it was as if they were being punished for who they were and what they'd done. For the baby's right arm, its stealing arm, was pinned to its chest. Its little hand was curled into a fist. The nurse grabbed the baby's wrist, the baby screamed. So they sent for a doctor, the doctor tried everything, nothing would make the baby move its arm. So they sent for more and more doctors, they paid for alternative therapies, nothing would make any difference. Then they heard of an old woman who knew the old remedies. And when you have a a problem like this, you become desperate, you begin to try outlandish theories. And so they took the baby to this old woman. This old woman listened to their stories. She nodded her head as if she'd heard many stories just the same. She lifted the lid of a little wooden box and took out a piece of crystal. She tied some cotton around the crystal so the crystal was spinning on the end. She waved the crystal over the baby's body like a pendulum. The baby's eyes followed the twinkling thing. The baby's eyes followed the twinkling thing and its right arm, for the first time, lifted from its chest. The baby reached up, its little fingers uncurled. And out of the baby's palm fell the midwife's wedding mm-hmm. ring. <laughs> that is
0: romantic as it gets.
1: Yeah, it's as romantic as <laughs> I, I get. I,
0: I, I got to tell you, though, I thought, because uh, I was just trying to int- anticipate. You uh-huh. talk about that unexpected. Uh-huh. I thought that the woman that he was uh, so attracted to uh-huh. was going to be the thief. Uh-huh. That's, I thought, you would, you know, the one that he was just so enthralled with, yeah. so in love with, it yeah. fir- loved at first sight, yeah. I thought that's what you were going to go back to.
2: Uh-huh,
0: uh uh-huh. <laughs> Okay, well, you're saying, uh-huh.
1: Yeah, well, I went back to something else, didn't I? Oh, I went yeah, back to did. the idea that this child would be the best thief the world has ever seen. So I went back to something <laughs> oh, else. That's right. I don't want to go back to the thing you're expecting me to go back okay. to. What would
0: be the point in that? So unpredictability sometimes is, yeah, like is a good of part of the, sort of the story. I mean, the
1: Sherlock Holmes stories are the model, as far as I'm concerned, because uh-huh. Conan Doyle gives you everything everything you need to resolve the story. Unfortunately, we're not Sherlock Holmes. So when the boot disappears from outside the hotel room and then suddenly miraculously reappears again, we don't understand why. Yeah. But Sherlock can put those pieces together and so resolve the mystery. And this is what every story does. It plants ideas in your head, but you don't realise that they're seeds which will grow later. Yeah. I mean, if you did, then the story would not have done its job.
0: You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. Uh, This is a unique Smart Talk today, and uh, I like it. Daniel Morton, who is uh, obviously uh, a world-renowned storyteller, and I'm sure we have a, a lot of our listeners out there saying, I love his accent
1: yeah that's fine
0: by me <laughs> that welsh accent if you have a question or a comment 1-800-729-7532 or send an email to smarttalk at org. all right so david worth has been sitting here smiling and uh i don't know you look kind of proud of yourself that uh, you have david uh excuse me daniel morton at uh, the lititz uh, storytelling festival this weekend
3: I am just so pleased. You know, we have such a great lineup, and Daniel is here. We heard him a couple of years ago back in Jonesboro, Tennessee, at the National Storytelling Festival, and we said, man, if we can get him to come to Let It's we're going to be happy. And he's here this year. He'll bring his unique take on the epics and the myths and the folk tales and put that into the mix with the other tellers we got carmen didi who's a cuban american you know a refugee story growing up cuban in georgia figure that one out right Mm. and then donald davis who's kind of the dean of american story you know small town americana the poignant and the humorous and the true uh coming out of those things and of course bill lepp The incomparable, Incomparable, one and only Bill Bill Lepp, the six-time world champion liar from West Virginia. You never know where he's going to (laughs) take you. Noah Baum, who's an Israeli-American Jewish uh, folk tale teller and um, raconteur of that experience in Israel and between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And a missing one. Who's my last one? I don't have... See, we took your poster away. Oh, that's away fine. And it, and we've uh, done that.
0: right, we'll think about yeah. it here in, a, here in a minute. But this is the fifth annual Lititz uh, Storytelling Festival. Mm-hmm. How, how did it come to be?
3: Well, uh, a friend of ours told us we ought to go down to the Jonesboro uh, Festival one year, years back, uh, Alan Janakovo, uh, CEO of the Fox Chapel Publishing. He knew that Brenda and I uh, like to tell stories. We tell stories in our work from Mennonite Central Committee, motivational stories about the needs of people and, and how they can find and you can be part of that solution uh-huh, you know that uh-huh. you set up there. Yeah. We went down there, Scott, and it was four days Storytelling morning, noon, and night. And by the end of it, we came back and we said, you know, Jonesboro, Tennessee is about the size of Lidditz. And they can bring 20,000 people there to hear stories for four days straight. Maybe we'll we'll take a slice of that and see if we can't bring that to Lidditz. And so that's that's what's happened. Brendan and I have been working at it, along with the help of sponsors, family, friends. Uh, it's a whole crew that gets together to put this thing uh, to make it happen at the Warwick Middle School.
0: Yeah that, and uh, I should mention that uh, WITF is uh, participating as one of the proud uh, proud be involved in the, the festival this year as a media sponsor. so you know we were talking on uh, b- before the program that uh, our audience is, is perfect for yeah. it because our audience yeah. loves. To hear stories i tell yeah. you know it's not the same thing but i tell guests all the time tell yeah. me a story because yeah. everyone has a story yeah. maybe not as I don't know, having the lessons or as entertaining yeah. as what Daniel tells. But everyone has a story to tell, their own life experiences or, uh, you know, their fantasies growing up or w- what they did like. All right, so you're at w- Warwick Middle School this week.
3: That's right, starting Friday night, 7 o'clock. What,
0: uh, as far as tickets go and all that, how can... You uh, can
3: go right online to the Lititz storytelling net, and you can uh, buy the tickets right there, or you can show up at the door. We got uh, the concert at Friday night at seven. We have workshop Saturday morning. Uh, a story swap at one o'clock on Saturday. Uh, Scott, come on down and. Us, us, tell us your story, your five minute story.
0: Oh, oh I have trouble with five minutes. <laughs> See, I thought my father was the greatest storyteller I ever heard, but they were a little bit baldy sometimes. Yeah. Uh, now, now, Dad, you're, you're
1: wrong, Scott. My father was the greatest storyteller really? ever. Yeah.
0: Well, my father's no longer around, so he can't Not compete mine. there. But Not <laughs> mine. They're up there
1: in heaven right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's take a phone call from Scott in Paradise. And Daniel Paradise oh, is gosh, the name of the town. can you see my dad there?
1: <laughs> you sure he's there? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, 100%. Okay. All right, Scott, you're on the air.
4: Paradise, it's a little overrated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll stay here then. Uh, All
4: right, go ahead, uh, Scott. Well, Here's my question. I've been a public speaker for many, many years, uh-huh. uh, but I um, have never been in storytelling, uh-huh. and I've always been intrigued by it. I'm from West Virginia. I've been to the like, Liars contest Um yeah, and really was uh, really enjoyed that. I think Appalachia has a real history of storytelling. But I've never been involved in any contest or anything like that. Uh-huh. I was just curious if you had any advice for uh, somebody who wanted to get started in that. Yeah. Where would you go to get started? Where do you find the material? I like the idea of telling the old stories and telling them
1: yeah. well. Yeah, well, um, well I mean, um, the first thing you've got to do is find a story you love. You know, telling a story you don't like is like telling a joke you don't find funny. You know, it's not going to work, is it? So you tell a story that you're itching to tell. Um, and there are fantastic resources on the net. Now, when I started 25 years ago, that didn't exist. I was plundering books. You can, if we, if you ask for permission, you can generally tell a story that you've heard from other tellers. You have to make sure that's okay with them, and you have to make it your own. But the first thing you do is find a plot that just you cannot stop thinking about. Find a story you cannot stop obsessing around and then have a punt at telling it. I'm sure in West Virginia there are locations where you're, you know, a floor spot. Here at the festival this weekend there is an open floor spot. You have a five-minute tell, you can get up and give it a go. You can try it out on family, you know. Obviously it ain't gonna be too um, uh, rude or anything, but you can try it out on family. I mean, actually, if you're a public speaker, if you're a human being, you tell stories, you do. You tell it. What you do is you organize the events of the day in order to emphasize a certain attitude to those events. You omit certain events, you emphasize others. That is the act of creating a story. We are natural storytellers. But with regard to doing it in public, find yourself a floor spot. I'm sure if you Google it, you'll, you'll, you'll find a location. Oh, come to the festival this weekend and have a go.
0: Scott, I think you should go to the festival this weekend. Well, unfortunately, it, it, I'm going to the Greenwood Furnace folk gathering this weekend, or else I would be there the entire time. So, so folk... it's canceled.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tell a story about I'm that.
4: Teaching there, they might be a little ah. Off, but...
0: Hey, Scott, thank you very much for your phone call. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that uh, you know. I think of Appalachia. I think yeah. of uh, West yeah. Virginia, and uh, so many uh, folk tales and yeah. and stories that, that they do have. But do you have people often asking you about that? I mean, because a storyteller, as how do I of, start?
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly. Do yeah, you have people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have it all the time. Yeah, I mean, I you know, back in the UK, I run workshops. For people, and I only really run beginners workshops to try and encourage more people to tell to tell tales. But I mean, the answer is, you know, it's part of everyday interaction. All you need to do is get together a, a couple of people, and then you can have a go, and it builds from there. There's no point in trying to stand up in front of 100, 150 people, or a thousand people, and do it for the first time. You, it starts with the intimacy of an interaction amongst friends. And then it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. And you have to tell a story you love.
0: Daniel Morton obviously uh, one of the world's renowned storytellers and uh, honored to have him on the program today and I think that we uh, should really be honored to have him in Central Pennsylvania this weekend thank you very much for, uh, for joining Pleasure. us on the program and uh, I, I tell you what David worth uh, I think that after listening today you're gonna have a lot of people who will be interested in coming to the Liddett storytelling festival it's Friday and Saturday at the Warwick Middle School thank you very much for bringing this to my attention and uh, I'm sure our audience thanks you, too. Thanks, Scott, and we'll see you there. Okay. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar social enterprise is a group organization or company that incorporates a social or environmental goal in its business model the online voting and crowdfunding phase of Lancaster County's 2017 great social enterprise pitch is underway it is a project of Lancaster County Community Foundation and assets Lancaster joining us today on the program to talk about it is Jessica King who is CEO and Jonathan Coleman director of programs both from Assets Lancaster, welcome to the program. Thanks Thanks so much. Great to be here. If you have a question or comment, maybe an idea, it may be a little bit too late to get involved in this year's uh, social uh, enterprise pitch, but maybe you have an idea out there that you'd like to run by someone, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. That's a tough act to follow, you know. Very tough. <laughs> you have to do. We have to do the rest of the show. Tell a story. That's right. <laughs> tell stories along the way. You know, I gave kind of like uh, a very basic definition of social enterprise. How do, how do you describe it?
2: Sure, um, it's a way of doing business that integrates impact, social impact, environmental impact, changing the world in some way into an actual business model. So not saying that business is just to make money at all costs, but also to do good and to make change in the community. And honestly, the root in this is a story, right? So to follow on our well, predecessors well, here, right? Go ahead. Is that the story is of, of poverty and inequality in Lancaster. And I think that has hooked both of us and hooked a number of people. It's hooked everybody that's in the pitch this year. Um, a rising trend in poverty. It's, it's doubled um, over the last number of decades. Uh, increased 50% just in the last decade. Uh, 30% poverty rate in Lancaster City alone, and that's pretty common across the central Pennsylvania Commonwealth region. Um, most cities face some something like that. And so our approach to this is saying, how can we use t- business as a tool? This has been our work in a lot of years, working with underserved repre- uh, entrepreneurs, folks who have low incomes who are looking to increase their economic opportunity um, by starting business. So this is kind of a twist on that to say, how can anybody who's doing business, regardless of your background, Integrate some kind of impact into that business to make the world a better place. To address, in this case, the 30% poverty rate in Lancaster City. Um, and try to strengthen our local economy so that it works for more people. And it's cool. Like every, Everybody who's in the pitch this year, there's nine business ideas. And each of them has a story that's at the root of their business idea. Um, it's what keeps them going. It's what motivates them. And I think it's this true integration, like it is for most entrepreneurs. But I think this kind of takes it to another level where there's a real deep um, commitment to... A a purpose for them through their business and so this is a true integration of kind of nonprofit social cause and social mission and business and how you integrate those two Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: you know and I'm going to talk a little bit about history here in a moment but uh, something that strikes me is that um, you know it's obvious that uh, we are in the midst of a political campaign Um, business uh, corporations people who are out to to make money often are vilified and that's not the way it always is and th- th- this is what you're describing here is a way for and and let's say I think the majority of businesses are community members same yep. employers uh, you know members of their community uh, so you know sometimes a lot a lot of them get a, a bad name Maybe it's politically expedient. Mm -hmm. But what you're talking about here is people who are giving back to the community.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
4: Right. And the idea that we're trying to focus on is, sure, most businesses are operating as good community members. And a lot of them are charitable with their profits at the end of the year. What we're trying to say is what more can they do with their business model, within the DNA of their business? How can they transform their community? How can they make a positive impact beyond just giving some of their profits away at the end of the year to the nonprofit community, but through the business model, how are they impacting the community and taking that extra step? So uh, most businesses now are, are wonderful community members, but what more can they do so that they are even Having a stronger positive impact on the community through the business model So that's really what we're trying to focus on now and having an intentional coupling of the the impact and the profit into the same entity mm-hmm.
0: And and once we go because we're gonna go through the nine that uh, that you do have I think that uh, our, our listeners will find that uh, You know it's it, there are p- more benefits just what you described Jonathan there are more benefits than just taking profits, and here's a percentage of it giving to a nonprofit. There are actual people who benefit from the things that that we're we're, we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's go back and do a little bit of history. Um, How did uh, the the Lancaster County Great Social Enterprise pitch begin, and how does it work?
2: It was a partnership uh, between assets and the Lancaster County Community Foundation, looking at ways that we could integrate this idea of using business as a tool for good uh, in the community, and it, it does lots of good. We don't want to have any assumption that business doesn't do good. There are so many great businesses already out there. This is not. It's what makes a community. Absolutely, mm-hmm. but this is just saying. You know, the Community Foundation has been given, making grants for over seventy years, but there are limited grant dollars out there. There's limits to philanthropy. Um, for example, you know, back to some of what Jonathan was saying. In 2015, the U.S. spent 360 billion in philanthropy. We gave that to charity to help, you know, fix social issues. We spent about the same amount going out to eat. So when you think about that kind of together, what are the ways, this is what started this, what are the ways that we could inspire the private sector to take kind of some of the load and work with the social sector to address some of our, our social sector challenges? Um, so looking at how could some of those restaurants that basically do the same amount in philanthropy, like, as philanthropy does, can they make change in, through the people that they hire? You know, There's a restaurant in San Francisco that's entirely owned and run by people who transitioned out of the prison system. So it's a way for them to stay, get on their feet with dignity and kind of work their way into a future that they want, but they own it. And so there's so many ways that you can integrate that kind of thing. And then those Customers who go to that restaurant are supporting that with their dollars in the same way that they would philanthropy, but they're getting a service in exchange. Mm.
0: I have to describe body language here from time to time, and uh, as you were talking about it, you're saying on one hand, and you put your right hand out, and then you put your left hand out when you were talking about paying for it. <laughs> so <laughs> that I don't know, it's just I find that very expressive because your your passion comes through when you're talking about this. What about the What year is this for? Uh, the great
4: social enterprise. The and
0: third year. Third year. I was going to say, I didn't think it was it was too long. What about past winners? People who uh, what have they done? What are some of the projects that they've done?
4: Yeah, our first winner was a community-based project called the Common Wheel based in Lancaster. They are a community bike shop. So they collect uh, donated bikes that are old and rusting or sitting in people's garages. They're not being used. They fix them up. They sell them to anyone who wants a bike in the community. And then they use those proceeds to Um, continue revamping bikes and kind of allowing the bike community to grow in the community, but also to do programs with Lancaster's youth to teach them how to work on their bikes, to give them a bike um, that they're able to use for transport to school. Um, So they are mixing kind of the the focus on a a bike-friendly community and the environmental impact that comes from that and the, the social impact of giving youth something to do, teaching them a skill, how to repair bikes, giving them transportation, but they're funding it through the repair and sales of bikes. So it's, they're not reliant solely on donor dollars to have this social impact. Mm-hmm. So they're the, the they're our first winner from the 2014 version. What about last year? Last year was a, a company called the Stroopy Company. They make these wonderful little Dutch waffle cookies that you can set on top of a coffee cup of a hot cup of coffee, and it melts the caramel that's up within the cookie, and then you have that as a kind of a, a companion to your cup of coffee or your cup of tea, and it's amazing. Um, wonderful, everyone needs to go try them, but in in their basic form, they're just a cookie and they're being produced as a cookie, but the the business model is to hire refugees who have arrived in Lancaster and give them stable work and stable employment and good wages to produce the cookies. So they've coupled just a a cookie company with the significant social problem in Lancaster, which is the arrival of, of an influx of refugees who struggle to find work elsewhere because of the cultural issues or language issues. They give them a good job producing these cookies. As they continue to grow, as they sell more cookies, they're able to provide more jobs to the refugee community.
0: And there is a real need there because uh, Lancaster has uh, as many refugees coming in as most cities, if not more cities, you know, the Pittsburgh and Philadelphia populations, but uh, Lancaster's a large refugee population. Uh, Alright, so there's obviously some competition, a contest here. How does that work and how can the public participate?
2: Mm-hmm. It's basically a friendly business planning competition. So all nine of these folks have been in an incubator with us over the last four months um, where we meet on a regular ba- regular basis. They go through their idea. They've strengthened it. They've pitched it. They're really refining that process. But they help each other. So they're competing with each other, but they're helping each other. They give each other advice. They give each other counsel. What could this look like? How do you improve this? Um, and so... They're right now in a crowdfunding campaign, which is one way to show, get their ideas out to the community in a different way. They're all on campaigns on Indiegogo. You can reach them at LancasterPitch.com and just follow the link to the crowdfunding site. Um, But they compete with the crowdfunding and we see who has the highest number of donations and the highest number of dollars, but we don't really, that's not who wins necessarily. It's a way for us to see how do they leverage their idea in the community? How do they gain support? How do they get their ideas out there? How do they pitch it? And then we choose uh, four out of that group, and the group themselves choose the fifth, um, and the five of them then go on to a live pitch on September 30th, where they pitch their ideas in five minutes to five judges, and uh, they compete for cash and pro bono prizes.
0: So the public can participate in this. And we're going to go over, quickly go over uh, the nine. Um, they're not finalists, right? Nine pr- that are left. As,
4: as, as that, they're, the, they're the participants as of now. Okay. Yes.
0: okay. Uh, we'll go over them in, uh, quickly. But yeah, I, I'm curious, uh, you know, because when I have the last two years and this year, when I've read down through the, the list of, of the ideas, they're all good. Mm-hmm. Have the ones who, okay, and I'm, I'm putting quote quotation marks up here the, the ones who were not winners have they gone on with with some of these ideas absolutely
4: yeah we have several wonderful examples of businesses that weren't even finalists in the previous years that are go that have gone on to perform perform really well and have you know been making a profit and having substantial community impact so a good example of that is a company called create karma they're uh, doing y- community yoga training in lancaster so their first training had i don't remember the numbers but almost 100 people in their first uh, nine month training program that they th- they developed and the idea is that they're training yoga trainers to so then go into the community and provide the services in, in areas where, where most folks are not accessing um that that type of operation or that type of uh, opportunity and so they're expanding that idea and they've done really well um, in their first iteration of, of the training and you know we're seeing that as a huge success that will continue to grow and we have
0: about five minutes left so I'm going to ask you about 30 seconds each for for these if you can do that mm-hmm. um, I want to go down through the nine crowdfunding campaigns uh, with the business descriptions uh, descriptions sober bars what's sober bars
4: sober bars is a Self-descriptive. It's a sober bar. It's a place for um, nighttime entertainment that doesn't involve um, substances, that doesn't involve alcohol. So it's the bar feel without the alcohol for people who are in recovery, for people who, for religious reasons, for one other reasons, don't drink and don't want to be in an environment where there is alcohol. It provides that alternative um, to to prove that you can have fun as a young person in a community without alcohol. Uh,
0: win workplace. Win workplace solutions.
2: This is. Um started by a young mother who needed a, a space for uh, pumping breast milk for her son and recognizing that for many, many women in the workplace, there is no designated space uh, for this and it definitely increases retention for women in the workplace and health, health and wellness for, for children in this. So they're creating a modular uh, pod that employers can purchase or lease um, to use for mothers to express breast, breast milk. Lush
0: Bazaar.
4: Lush Bazaar is a, a clothing company connecting India with the U.S. Uh, so, working with underserved women in India to produce beautiful, wonderful clothing, bringing that to the U.S. and selling here, and working with um, at-risk women here in the U.S. to sell the clothes here. So, it's a, a clothing company that's connecting um, women in need and in the U.S. and in India. Sophie Stargazer Boutique.
2: Um, She has a boutique on the east side of Lancaster and has had um, where she's produced or selling local and kind of artisan goods. But she pivoted recently, um, recognizing that the fashion industry is one of the largest polluters in the world and um, a big, big contributor to unsafe working conditions for people around the world. And so she's specializing in ethically made, USA made, um, fair trade um, and local artisan goods and um, really focusing our shop around those, those purposes and supporting those artisans. Ebenezer Holistic Foods.
4: Ebenezer Holistic Foods is a raw vegan food company, really similar to uh, Stroopies that I described earlier. So they're selling raw vegan food based in Central Market right now in Lancaster Central Market, doing really well already there. But their purpose is to hire um, people who would struggle to find work elsewhere, including refugees, people coming out of prison, um, that kind of thing. Uh, Boot Camp 900.
2: This is a health and wellness program coming out of Southeast Lancaster City with a focus on um, personal training, accountability, support, and encouragement to look at the higher rates of obesity in high-poverty neighborhoods and ways to engage new training opportunities, especially for people who are coming out of prison to work in health and wellness. Melanine Essentials.
4: Melanin Essentials is um, uh, uh, health and beauty care products, natural health and beauty products for women of color. So there are very limited options for natural, um, organic, chemical-free products for natural hair and for skin of women of color. So uh, there's two young African-American women who have come together to create products for people like them that they can't find in the stores elsewhere.
2: And hire hire single mothers to produce the work.
0: Five Loaves Food Company.
2: This is a food company to provide well-prepared and healthy meals for at-home daycare providers, uh, addressing some of the needs of childhood obesity and um, access to quality food for at-home daycare providers. And the final
4: one is Benchmark b Yes, Benchmark b is a, another health and fitness focused um, company that is seeking to provide uh, personal training, training and licensing and certification for at-risk youth in Lancaster and then provide a gym space where people come and work out but then access the personal training of the youth who have been certified
0: well i'll tell you what there's a lot to choose from and all nine of them sound worthy Uh, but again uh, in the 30 seconds we have left how can uh, those listening today how can they participate
2: we have one more week of crowdfunding so go to lancasterpitch.com Check out their ideas. They all have these great two-minute videos that you can check out their ideas, hear their stories, go back to that story piece, and then support their ideas. Then come out and hear the live pitches on September 30th, 7 p.m. at the Ware Center in downtown Lancaster.
0: Jessica King and Jonathan Coleman from Assets Lancaster, thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks, Scott. Great to be here. It's a pleasure. Tomorrow we have a special election program at 9 o'clock, so no smart talk tomorrow. But coming up on Friday, we're going to be broadcasting from the Flight 93 Memorial, you know, September 11th, 15th anniversary coming up this Sunday. So we'll be broadcasting Friday from the Flight 93 Memorial.